Welcome to the Take 92 podcast. This is Sammy Warmhands. I'm your host. And today in the studio, I've got my friend Joel. He's a writer for Sound Convictions. And he's covered my work. He's covered Streetlight Cardiacs and Carnage the Executioner and all kinds of good stuff. And we're just going to talk about music and writing and life. And uh, it's going to be a lot like our first episode, kind of, with Odar. Might even get a little cameo from Evil later on. Stay tuned. How's my levels? It's going to work. I generally <laughs> keep them pretty soft because, you know, we start out just like, hey, what's up? And then eventually we're like, and that fucking album was awesome! You know, so, like, you know, you want to have a little bit of room. Time for my annual podcast appearance. What was your last one? Uh, I was on a one called Your Favorite Album, what? where I talked about... Which album? I talked about the album Heart by Stars. Okay. Uh, because I can't do a favorite album. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I was having this conversation at my mom's house the other night. So I just, I had to have a bunch of like criteria and qualifiers. And what I came down to was either the one I had, I'd been listening to the most consistently for the longest time or the one I had the most, I had like been through the most shit with. Yeah. And still liked the most. And that's how I get to that one. It was either that or uh, Out Come the Wolves. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I, I had, I think it's behind this Smashing Pumpkins poster. All the picture frames in this room have like three or four posters deep in them. And I just switch them out from time to time because there's no fucking room. But yeah, I think behind the Smashing Pumpkins one, there's a nice Out Come the Wolves. Yeah, uh, that one I think I've been listening to since shortly after it came out pretty consistently since then yeah it's it's a classic man i I remember going to see them just a couple years ago my wife and i actually drove all the way up to seattle just to see him which i never really do but i had only seen him at warp tour i wanted to see a headlining set transplants were going to be there and we went and it was before they did the whole anniversary tour but they played like 80 percent of that album in the set, and I just I uh, couldn't believe about it. About come the wolves, yeah. Well, man, that's, I couldn't believe there, it. Like, there is not a weak song in the mix. No, I mean, there's some I like more than others, but but it was amazing, it's one of the man. few like, that I don't like. I always switch track orders around. Really? Oh yeah, it, Make it's your bad. Own playlist. Like, it's nice having gone mostly digital because then I can just do it quickly. I was gonna say than, like, I can't dubbing. even do that. Did I tell you I always make like my own playlists for shows I go to, like what I would like to see? Yeah, we talked about that at the, it. at the Ogar Burl Double Dragon show. <laughs> yeah, that was the only reason I did that was because I joked about it beforehand, and Chad was like, "No, go ahead, we'll, we'll, we'll do it." I was like, "Really? No, you you sure?" Skeptical, take you up on that shit. Yeah, <laughs> but so. uh, but man, uh, yeah, Rancid blew me away with that. I think. I don't know if it was in preparation for that tour or what, but they just um, they surprised the shit out of us. I mean, I was grinning ear to ear that whole time. That that album in particular is just very nostalgic to me because it's well, timeless. I mean, I, I remember talking yeah. to my mom about it, and she's like, um, "Who is Rancid? I don't think I I like them. I don't think I know them." And I was like, "I guarantee you know them, and I guarantee that you like at least some of them." And I played "Fall Back Down," and she's like. Mm. Oh yeah, this is this is pretty good. And then I uh, I played Time Bomb. She's like, Oh, they play this all the time on the radio. Yeah. I like this song, you know. <laughs> and that like the fact that that song's still in rotation, and Epitaph Records 
single is still in rotation. Oh, yeah. 20 years later. I keep smiling and nodding. I learned doing some of the first episodes that I have a tendency to like jump in and talk over the top of somebody when I get excited. And so I have to stop myself from. You, you like to establish context, too. Yes. I'm surprised you haven't already. That's funny. I give way too much background. Like if I'm telling somebody about a, a, a joke that I liked in a, in a stand-up special or like a, a movie I just watched. And I won't realize it until I'm halfway through, but I will give so much backstory and like character development leading up to this one joke just so you get it all the way that it like once I'm leading up to the punchline finally, I'm like, I've lost all momentum in this story. I can tell you don't care anymore. Your face but, is just fading. <laughs> like, <laughs> my, my wife is sitting here next to me and I'm sure you can relate to hearing things like that. I'm not good at stories. Like, well, let me establish uh, all of the parameters until you get bored and just want me to stop talking, and then I'll tell you the... <laughs> and then I'll begin telling the story. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm terrible about it. <laughs> well, I think that's what also makes you an interesting writer is because... Oh, yeah, like, it comes in really handy for that. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but when I read album reviews or movie reviews it's just the same set of adjectives you mm -hmm. know rearranged dark. and yeah it's it's yeah <laughs> if you good luck reading one that doesn't have dark in it somewhere yeah uh, i get so tired of it and so like sci-fal for example mm -hmm. uh they've reviewed a bunch of my stuff and and when that first started you know i was just looking up music blogs that i think you know maybe they had some of my friends music on there or whatever and they would like it and and uh i looked at one of their reviews of like sadistic or something like that and i i like i couldn't believe that this was a legitimate site <laughs> you know it's just like it makes me feel like a fireball up my ass or you know it's just always <laughs> the most ridiculous shit and i and i I kind of liked them for not taking it too seriously. And then once I started It's, it's reading, a really, really tough balance to find. Well, yeah, and once I, once I started checking out your stuff at Sound Convictions, it's, um, it's not what they're doing, but it's a deviation from the usual bullshit that can get so monotonous. I, I've gotten an awful lot better about... Uh... See, initially it was like all from my angle, like a straight up blog entry. Yeah. And all about feelings and whatnot. And then it got, I was like, oh, I can't, I can't keep doing that. Like nobody really gives a shit about like how I feel, so to speak, unless it has, it's like pertinent to the album. Cause I would, I would go off on tangents about things that were completely unrelated and then I would get too technical and like, I've gotten a pretty good balance down now of like kind of getting everything concise. And, like, enough of me to where you, like, it kind of humanizes it, but not so much that you're like, okay, I just don't know this guy. So, like, I only give so much of a shit about how, you know, how he thinks. Sure, and, yeah. You know. Well, and I know that we've talked about some of the pieces coming together, and you're like, okay, I've basically made an encyclopedia of this particular <laughs> record. Now I have to cut it down to what people actually want to know about it, because I've got all of this stuff. Uh, um, yeah. And I think that people don't realize how much 
of that goes into music as well. Like whether it comes down to cutting a song that you really like that just doesn't quite fit the album or, you know, going through and, and like me and me and Doug, me and Ogar Burl, I, I feel like our biggest strength in songwriting is that we are pretty surgical with the revisions, you know, constantly cutting little things or, or, you know, dropping unnecessary that, syllables and, and all that stuff. That's and, really funny. I've, I've only recently like last year or so started to embrace editing. Yeah. And cause I used to just be like, Oh, I got to make sure I get enough, you know? Yeah. And it would be too much, you know, by I, I, like, I could cut everything down to a quarter and it would be more readable and more, you know, to the point. Let me just make sure I really reiterate this as many times as I need to in order to like get the idea across that I like it, which I could just say that quick explanation. Here's why. But like, if you were to just go, all right, I'm going to write a short piece on this that's 500 words or something like that and execute that. That's great. It's easy. You knocked it out. But the reason that your version of a 500 word piece is different is because you do go that deep and write all of this stuff and really analyze it and you know establish context and um uh, make it's a duality this... battle yeah but because you, you go through <laughs> you do all the work and the research and then go all right now what is the gold in in this well, you and know. you know, most of the time when somebody sends me something, they at least partially send it to me, Joel. Yeah. Not being the website. Yeah. And they and they sent it to me, to me, you know, because they either uh, like the way I do things or think I might get it or whatever have you. So I have, feel like I need to infuse at least a little bit of myself into it. Definitely. Uh, you want your signature on it. So, like, a lot of the times, especially if I have any type of story that goes along with this person or what have you, like I'll kind of throw that in as the me and like where I'm coming from. And then I'll just get down to the nitty gritty of, you know, why I think you should spend your time and money on X. Yeah. Okay. Let's take it back to the beginning then. Cause you were talking about the, my favorite album podcast. Um, which I listened to one the other day that was a little bit older. I've been saving it for a while um, on uh, the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, uh, Melancholy. Uh, Melancholy, yeah. yeah. That was a good episode. And uh, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I felt like, I think I listened to it the week that I went to see them, too. And so I really wanted to, I almost wanted to, like, jump into the conversation and, like, add shit to it. Oh, yeah. Like, it was, it was, it was exciting. Um, That's what's so much fun about that. And, like, he also gets uh, a really good mix of people, like anywhere from like Adam gets like his friends, and then he'll get like bigger names, and like it's all like interspersed, and kind of like you sort of lumped me in with a bunch of people who you'd never see connected to me otherwise. I think that it's important if you're going to have an interview-based show, kind of like uh, Blueprint does Super Duty Tough Work, and every week they've got new topics and they're constantly on something different so it's like a hip-hop news show or something you know it's it's a lot different than 
what I'm trying to do. So I feel like if I interview another rapper every episode, then it's going to run its course. and It's going to feel too formulaic. And, you know, even if you don't lose interest listening to it, maybe I'll lose interest doing it. Right. So you can only like go across the same topic so many times. Yeah. And, you know, obviously this is, this is what I love. This is my life. These are my kind of people, but I think there's more perspectives to be explored, you know? Oh yeah. Than just that of the guys I regularly play with. Oh yeah. And I, I, I try to do the same thing too. Like I obviously have a cast of recurring characters. Yeah. You know? And like, I remember, uh, like I'm a big Kevin Smith fan and like, I've basically taken in everything he's ever done since, I don't know, especially since he started doing podcasts. But he'll, you know, I used to not get why he would keep working with the same people Mm. over and over. And, like, only a few people would kind of go in and out. But, like, after a while, like, they're reliable. Yeah. You know? I know if I ask you specifically for something that you'll come through, you know? Thanks for having me uh, do that little guest piece a while ago. Uh, the the metal oh, about uh, about which, which one? The metal list thing oh, was the first one. That was me kind of testing the waters. Yeah, because <laughs> at that point on Facebook, you were sharing the CDs you were taking into work. Oh yeah, you had like big stacks, and I and I was like, oh, there's like all sorts of stuff in here. It was it was everything. It would it shifted from like. Like the Dixie Chicks to Metallica to you know on and on and so forth, and I was like, "All right, so I know this guy from playing the Decline all the <laughs> way through without fucking up." <laughs> yeah, and I know him from these two rap albums because I want to say Free Rides had just come out, mm. and I was like, "You know what? We'll see if like if this is somebody I can." like jive with you know well because I, I do pretty much everything online yeah you know like i i don't like honestly i do everything from my from my phone minus like posting the actual pieces really all you write all that shit yeah oh god well man i'm busy <laughs> i that, i just that my my forearms hurt just hearing that <laughs> like <laughs> oh but i mean but like i can also only play guitar for like half an hour at a time before my hands cramp up whereas i'm sure you could probably last a little longer yeah yeah i guess it's all in what you practice but no i I do everything on the phone including editing it crazy and i i i love sitting down to my word processor i don't even write a song without sitting down at the computer anymore it's it's uh the reason i do it is because i can do it wherever i'm at yeah whenever i get the thing and i always have this thing in my pocket or it's plugged in right next to me so uh i just decided to get good at it and now I can type out really fast on it, and but that way I can do interviews via email, and I do everything besides build the pieces. Yeah. So, I enjoyed that um, kind of impromptu interview you just did with with, with Evan. Oh, um, from the street that like was Cardiacs. totally like that was not intentional at all. I just wanted to like verify a couple of things, and. But, like, the first question, I I don't even remember what it was, but uh, something about oh, him not being on the first Streetlight Cardiacs EP. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he sent me back this, like, lengthy response 
you know. Which is uncommon for him. Well, I kind of got the impression in general about him that they're like, he's very, he embraces brevity. Yeah. You know? He's very succinct. And like, he and I are, have been going back and forth every day since then about something. I was like, well, fuck, if he's going to like give me good responses, I'm going to keep asking questions until I run out. Yeah. And, the illusionist is not something I've really ever tackled, other than like you know, briefly bringing it up. Well, because like, as long as we've well, known each other, that hasn't really been a thing. So right, yeah. and and I was like, well, shit, he's here. You know, I may as well like, and it kind of came about organically. And you you can see the point where I start. You know, well, you like, you oh, said shit. at one point, like, oh I'm god, I think I'm mode. I think I'm interviewing you. <laughs> I, was, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, I, I enjoyed anyway. it, man. I th- I think that. For, for many reasons, um, obviously one one being um, the the fact that that you and I have done a few of these mm-hmm. things before, and it's cool to see my friends up there. You've covered a lot of my friends now, oh. um, and and it oh, was yeah. also cool to see. I'm really just, trying hard not to take this over. Sorry, yeah, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was also cool to see um, a story about not just records I've worked on, but but what I really think are some of the best things to come out of this scene that I grew up in. You know, those, those street like cardiacs albums are, are just in a songwriting sense. So cool. Like so exciting. Really ahead of their time. That was one of those things that, um, I'm really glad they, they re-released them now as yeah. opposed to even like a year ago, two years ago. Cause that sort of thing kind of has been kind of get, getting a new life. I've noticed that too, man. You're starting to hear some actual punk rock. I, and music I, you know, honestly, I again. think I think a lot of it has to do with Fat's uh, 25 year anniversary, and then mm. and then that documentary, and everybody's sort of being reminded of that kind of music again that maybe they left behind when they hit their early 20s or whatever. Let me ask you about that, okay? Okay, we're here now. Sure. How you, old am I? No, no. <laughs> it it's something that has always. Rub me the wrong way, I guess, that there can be people that you're close with, you've played a million shows with, or you've used to always hang out at the record store and go to concerts or whatever. Like, in my life, they're the same people who, like, were straight edge when we were in high school and now are, like, beer connoisseurs, you know? That kind of mentality where it seems to be with this music that you get to in your teens, your coming of age, you have a strong connection to it, it's emotional, has an impact on your life. Have you seen just as many people walk away from that? Because I don't get why someone at some point goes, you know what, I'm I'm 24, I don't listen to Green Day anymore. Okay. <laughs> like, um, I, I have, I have my own answer. Be- well, because you and I have always kind of stuck with the music we grew up yeah. on, right? Pretty much, yeah. I think we're alike in that way. I went through all of my CDs a few days ago for context. All right. Uh, I was really surprised that there was, I mean, only a handful of them. I was like, ah, I don't think I would ever listen to that again. Yeah. The rest of them, I was like, fuck, good for me, you know? Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not, like, a, a very prideful person, but I was, like, pretty proud of myself. <laughs> like, I, th- I couldn't believe it. I think that there's um, there's one CD on my rack from like middle school that is uh, 
one that I'm I'm not proud of, and that is Papa Roach. Mm. And that is there because when I was trading out all those early odd purchases, you know, especially of the 99-2000 era, um, that, uh, you know, they... They took my limp biscuit and my whatever else <laughs> I had at that time, but they 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 wouldn't take my Papa Roach CD because it was scratched or whatever, and so it's just remained on there. You know, collecting you dust. Throw it in the garbage. <laughs> I just feel wrong doing that. I don't yeah. know. I you shouldn't. I okay. I mean, <laughs> judgments aside, I I liked it for a reason. I thought it had some kind of merit at the time. I don't know. But what is that like when people are fully immersed in something well, and it's just a phase like it does that mean that it wasn't as real for them does that mean like I'll tell you my experience okay um which is going to differ from yours considerably but um well then get out cuz this is my show <laughs> Oh no I just we have very different lives um but I think you're like 20 to 25 is i think the biggest shift of your life mm. that's when like the whole world opens up to you you know and you really start being able to uh like you have access now yeah and you can feed these sides of yourself that you didn't have access to prior with things like drinking come like these come come situations where like, my wife and I met at a bar at 2 in the morning, drunk, very drunk, <laughs> you know? And, like, we're a success story for sure, but normally that doesn't end with, like, two kids and a farm. And, yeah. you know, it, that ends with, like, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. But, <laughs> yeah. Sure. And you sort of... Uh, could certainly you can easily lose sight of because you have this this whole new world you know yeah like i remember when i was 21 i wasn't like excited about it until i understood what that could lead to like oh i was like oh shit i can go to shows at bars now yeah you know or like i can go to the roseland and not be pressed up a bunch uh uh against a bunch of sweaty people. Oh, you I can go, go up sit in the balcony. In the balcony. Yeah, okay. You know, and all of a sudden you're not quite a kid anymore. And then you start thinking like I wonder what else is out there. And that's kind of the the point where you're you sort of discover yourself. Mhm. You know, I think that usually happens to most people like 21 to 25 or so. You know, and 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 oh, oh god. And like that's when the fake friends come in, too. You know, all your childhood friends, your friends before you're 21 are, like, your good friends. Yeah. Because you don't have that, like, you don't have drinking buddies. You have friends, you know? Yeah, and I felt for a long time that, you know, because we were, we were well into our 20s. You know, we were probably 23, 24, and it's still, like, the same, like, 8, 10 people that... We're always together. Oh, back oh, yeah. Since middle school, like that, it's still all us, and now it's like not so much at thirty. Well, then you and but. then you have like, and everybody sort of uh, has their own version of like where they think they should be. Yeah, and everybody has their own version of of the future, and like in, in investing in that. 
you know, I I have some I know some folks who are who are like, you know what? I want to have a big family. When I'm 40, I want to be watching my kids graduate from high school. Yeah. You know, and then still have this, you know, still be able-bodied enough to basically go about things as though I would, you know, and that's not most people. Sure. But that's kind of the point where you can make those calls. Well, I guess the thing that, that I didn't want to get caught up in my straight edge analogy, but like, oh, the, the, oh, is the that what you, that, is that what you were going the, for? The thing there? that I, I don't, I, lo- I missed it. Well, the thing that I, I don't get is, is the music, you know, like, um, uh, to some extent, I think people, the music's a casualty. Yeah, you know, beca- it's well, just because a byproduct like, of that. Well, because if you think about like shows and bars, most of them aren't punk bands. Yeah, you know, most of them aren't like what are like like metalcore. That's not typically your your show at a twenty one and over venue. Sure. You know? Yeah, those are like indie bands, metal bands, rap to some degree. You know. <sighs> What am I trying to say here? I've taken us into weird territory. No, but... no. But, like, <laughs> a, a, as you're starting to get older and starting to feel more mature and have, you know, feeling, like, really responsible because I can go out and drink and still live my life the next day, you know, then you sort of, you want you want music that makes you feel responsible and mature. And, like, no effects isn't going to do that, <laughs> you know? I think you kind of missed out on this I mean you didn't I mean not well, no, miss out like I, I, mean, I asked you, these you, questions you missed you missed it like if in the, in the for the better I, I ask these questions <laughs> of people sometimes not usually on the air but <laughs> I ask these questions because I more or less have been the same person since I you know first heard no effects and Pennywise you know when I was like 12 13 it was like once I started the band and it was just like a switch happened and I went what? Nah, done with sports, done with this, done with that. This right. is it. Uh, that and, happened to me with skateboarding. And yeah. very shortly after punk rock. Yeah. And it just never, I mean, even as a rapper now, when I talk to people, I feel like I would self-describe myself as like a punk musician first. You know, that's just my lens I, you I know think, yeah that's sort of like what everything built from yeah and so it's it's just weird when i see people come and go or or uh, I, people leave the, it for 10 years and then come back and, the only one i like and, i i buy that like it doesn't do it for you anymore but i don't buy that it's not good you know what i mean I like mean, you can't you can't tell me that the quality is one way or another and that's and that's the one i kind of get on people on okay like doesn't do it for you. You like it or you don't, but like you can't speak to the quality because you're a certain way. Yeah. You know? Let's talk about some of those shows, man. You mentioned the Rosalind. I want to start there. Okay. I've seen so many great shows at that place. Um you handed me a Living End CD. Um I definitely remember seeing them there i remember seeing bad religion there i remember seeing rise against yeah i've seen a, a lot atmosphere I, with ena um god that you just that, do you want to talk about the rosalind or shows i mean that that specific room that is just bringing back to all be these memories a to really me. uh solid venue for like punk shows for sure 
Like it, it felt like a sh like a punk show, even though it's a pretty big venue with security and you know uh, metal detectors and shit. But it still felt like like if you like if you're down on the floor or even up in the balcony and watching H two O play, it still felt like an H two O show. Yeah, like they made a they did a really good job of making that place feel like a real venue. And like I don't know, I don't get that feeling from it anymore. Really? But I also haven't been there in a while, so. I tend, the shows I go to anymore tend to be more like I have to be really interested or I need to like be able to kill two birds with one stone and like see people I know. See, the thing that gets me is that uh, my ears are fucked up. Um, mm, me and too. like since I was 15, I've had ringing and, you know, the beginning uh, signs of hearing loss. And uh -huh. so they're always like, you got to protect yourself all the time. You know, I wore earplugs in gym class in school. You know, I wear them now when I vacuum at work. You know, I'm supposed to wear them on long drives. I'm not supposed to go on airplanes. And they said, you know what? You're really not supposed to go to shows anymore unless you're on the bill. And I'm like, how the fuck? Ugh. So with that in mind, it's like I've really got to pick and choose, you know. So, like, I don't unless it's like a band. I guess the hard thing is when it's. One of those ultimate bands that means a lot to you. Oh yeah. Maybe you've already seen them five times. Like we last time <laughs> I saw you, we um, were talking about at the gates with Mr. Ben Arp. Oh yeah, yeah, with Ben. When I, yeah, and so he and he was talking about uh, seeing at the gates play last year, and I was like, yeah, missed it. Like the like the way I I justify. Going to shows now is, is you know is very different from when I was younger. Like I would I went to every show I possibly could when I was young. Definitely. Like I want to say there was a year where I missed like a week, maybe seven eight days. Every other day was at a show. Have you always lived in the Portland, uh, Portland area? Metro? Yeah. See that is awesome because I, I mean I would have to drive a hundred miles for nine out of ten shows that I went to. I still went to a lot of shows. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, I grew up out on the west side, like way out on the west side. So it was still like half an hour in, yeah. but certainly not 100 miles. Yeah. I remember we, we even did it so much that we had a tradition of like, you know, there's no, when we were driving back on the interstate, there's like nowhere that's open that late. Um, and so I was in a band called Outreach when I was in high school, and they had this tradition of going to Sherry's in Woodburn that was like three miles off the oh, interstate. Yeah, oh, yeah, like I know way that out one, there, yeah. you know? and, uh, and so I, in kind of with them, inherited that. And so, like, now, even just last month, me and my brother went there after Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, it's kind of funny how those uh, those little things get passed on. Yeah. Or like... Uh, the bassist from Outreach, Jay, he uh, he got in an accident after one of the shows. He like bought the CD at the show and then he put it in his truck and was listening to it when he got in his accident. And so then uh, all of us had this fucking superstition that was like, "Oh no, you can't listen to the band that you're yeah. that you're going to see on the way there or on the way back. You can't do it, or you'll get." You'll crash like Jay. Uh, and I still do that. <laughs> uh, you know 15 what? 15 years later. Like, oh, I mean, if you want to get into, like, scene politics, that that used to be a big thing. Like, people would say to me, like, don't listen to him before. Don't listen to him after. You oh, just because it's it. not cool? Yeah, or because it's not cool. I'm like... No, we just did it because we um, were crazy. 
I, I was like, I like to do that so I can have it fresh in my memory yeah. and remember the words and whatnot, especially if it's something I haven't listened to in a long time. And if I was really hype, sometimes it, it, it never, obviously it's never going to sound as good right afterwards, but you can still like it. That's done, the first thing I want to so do many after times. shows, honestly. Like, I, I want to go put it in right away. And I, I'll, like, drive home and then put it yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm safe now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just don't give a shit anymore. I'll play it whenever. Yeah. I'll listen to it when I'm in the bathroom at the show. Are you the... Um, <laughs> I think there was a, a sample on an AFI record or something that was like, you're going to wear the shirt of the band you're going to see? Was that a thing? I've done it before. The shirt that i gave to you i wore to a lesson jake show yeah yep but i mean in talking about politics people telling you you should or shouldn't do things oh, was that a thing yeah oh yeah because i remember we'd get into shit I, for that i was big big into zines as a youngster and oh, yeah. like man like some of the shit people would write about like scene rules don't do this i mean they were like sincere i was like uh don't buy it that shit's hilarious <laughs> uh, when you're young, young and you don't have like not, literally nothing better to worry about yeah I like, remember you gotta have a pretty luxurious life to, to worry about that now I remember there was actually a cool thing that happened because of a local zine out here and that was uh, uh, it's weird we're talking about outreach a lot but a singer from my band outreach wrote for a zine called the unseen like like you know unseen seen yeah. SC yeah. Um, and uh, That one doesn't he, ring a bell. He wrote for The Unseen. I think Glenn from Compact worked mm -hmm. on it, too. But uh, uh, he wrote this piece about how, you know, we have these basement shows and these grain shows that he and I were throwing. And the bigger venues like the Wow Hall and whatever don't fucking care. And they're not helping. And that had somehow enough circulation that the Wow Hall found out about it. And their new booking manager, uh, this guy Abe Nielsen... Uh, wrote a response column and published it in the unseen and they had this like back and forth dialogue about it and sure enough that guy abe changed things for years and helped get tons of local bands Playing on stage, stage yeah. you know at at this awesome 500 capacity venue so you know sometimes as as silly as they seem those zines can make a difference man oh oh they totally can i i oh yeah i contributed to a lot but my, I always went from a lot more of an angle of, like, how to be the most constructive. Yeah. And, I, and that's kind of something I've always carried with me, like, kind of the reluctant idealist. Yeah. Like, always, there's always hope, you know? I mean, basically, the blogs now are the zines of, oh, yeah. of that time. I mean, because we're, you know, when I put out whatever... X, Y, and Z, um, you know, it's really just on me to get that to people. I mean, Crush Kill will help me ship it to people, but right. like, uh, really, you know, that that it's all social media. And so if I can have somebody uh, write a piece about my book or my video or whatever before it comes out, then it gives it to an audience that wouldn't have heard it before, or at least... It legitimizes it in the eyes of, you know, oh, people yeah. who are aware of it. And so maybe they wouldn't have checked it out before because, oh, yeah, Sam's putting out another fucking thing. He's always putting out a thing. But then if there's a 
you know, a story oh, about yeah, it, absolutely. then it's like, oh, I might actually read oh, that. Even even know? from my angle, I see that. Like somebody, I did an interview with you, and Kathy shared it on the Idea and Abilities. Oh, yeah. Uh, Facebook page. Facebook page. And that, you know, it, that, yeah, that in turn, like, kind of legitimizes both of us. For sure, yeah. And I was going to go somewhere with that. Um, I, I just think it's all great, and people don't under. I'm not used Stand. to talking about music. No, it's I'm fine. used to writing You're about, writing about it, it. But like I used to be such an asshole, like the worst person to talk to about music. Yeah. That like my wife that I'm pointing at, like still yeah, they, they rare, rarely reluctantly will like reluctantly bring something up with me. And I, and I have to be very careful to not like get like snobby or opinionated about it. Like, are you the record store guy that like pick everything apart? Well, oh, like, you I listen get, to that shit. Guy? I get really excited, and I get really and, and like. Uh, okay, so like last time I saw you, for example, I felt like I like I was in like a really good place, and when I'm in a good place, I'm just excited, and all social courtesy goes out the window. And I mean, I don't remember you groping me or anything. I don't. I interrupted you a few times while you were having conversations for no reason. Oh, well, it didn't. Like, Sam, you're still here. I didn't notice. And you're, yeah. Uh, you made I'll no. Probably be here for a while. Made no negative impact. <laughs> awesome. And I and I and like here off I went. You know, <laughs> but like, you know, but like, uh, I have like zero regard for how I'm going to be. Uh, like maybe I might you know regret what I'm about to say, and I'll say it anyway. <laughs> But, like, I've said some of the worst things because it was just, like, I'm excited about what I'm going to say, and it's going to, it's coming out, you know? Yeah. And uh, when I get excited about music, I get, like, you can see it right now. I'm starting to, like, my hand motions are getting big. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, like, I can't, I have no idea what's coming out of my mouth or what's going to come next. And so writing is a huge help because then I can actually read it back. And then I can, like, as I'm building it on the website, I can read it back to myself from that angle of, like, okay, this is what it's actually going to look like when it's done. Yeah. And this is how it's going to read. And then I can really, uh, like, get an idea of how how I'm coming off. Because when I'm talking, <laughs> I just, I, well, I'm like a wind-up doll. <laughs> I get it. Okay, let me give you a parallel to that because, you know, we've talked about how, you know, my creative process is something like that. You know, I write, I make a demo, I listen to it, I do a lot of revisions and edits and stuff before it, uh, you know, gets finished. But, um, you know, a lot of people try to pull me up on stage into their ciphers at the end of the night. And I'm like, I'm not really into freestyle. Because, like, I want to be very precise with the things that I say. I care about that a great oh, deal. Yeah. And so... To do something so off the cuff is like, why would you want to do? You know, like I, I get it. I'm not disrespecting that because uh, you know I've I've I I, uh, I think I've seen a, it done well. I think and it's I've, a certain personality that yeah. that can really em- embrace the immediateness of it. Yeah, and and I think you and I are definitely more like analytical types. Need to process, to digest, and package a thing, and we need, we need to set it, it down. Yeah, for a bit, come back to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So. You said you read the book yeah. of mine and that you realized you were at some of the shows that I had played. Yeah. 
Do you remember uh, any of those? That, like you said, Bane, right? You were at the Bane, Bane show. Champion. That was awesome. <laughs> um, and three inches of blood. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I was, don't remember I that was, one being as big. I was sick at that one. Really? Yeah. I remember clearly. I was. I had a fever, and I still went. That was at the Meow Meow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Upstairs. Yeah. My favorite show I saw there was not one that I played, but it was with Death by Stereo. Did you see them there? I didn't. I saw Death by Stereo at Pine Street. Okay. When they were there, when Pine Street was around. Pine Street was my first. That was my favorite venue. show. Where? Which one was it? Real Big Fish. Mm. And. Jeffrey's fan club. Oh wow! Yeah, I was not at that one. Good Bill. I saw Listen Jake there a couple times. Nice, nice. Oh, I guess okay. I take that back. I did see Listen Jake before that, but it was my first like Portland uh, ska show. <laughs> oh yeah, that. Oh, uh, I don't want to talk about Portland. <laughs> okay, we don't have to. But let's talk. Okay. Um, in general, well, I'll talk up, about let's specific, go off on a tangent. I'll talk about specific because, things. Right. I don't want to talk about so, Portland, though. Um, so we have that that connection to that scene. Um, you came across my music through guy I know as Mayor. Yeah, uh, Chris from Compact, Meekum. Yeah, yep. from Compact Fifty Six. I, I uh, never knew him as that, other than I occasionally hear people in his band. Yeah, that Spinelli's a big fan of Mayor. Yes, as a, as a name. Well, and Spinelli for a minute was going by Nick because there were two Chris's in the band, mm-hmm. and so they had they had Nick and Mayer, and eventually yeah. he became. Oh, it's Spinelli. funny to read the liner notes in those CDs too. I mean, it's like, been so long since who's, I have. Who's, oh, there's one where uh, there's a thank you section, and then it says no thanks to the girl who kicked Mayer in the balls. <laughs> and I and I remember reading that, and I was like, uh, who's Mayer? Oh, because I only have ever known him as as Chris. Who, by the way, just uh, sent me a bunch of unreleased compact stuff that I'll have to show you. Awesome. I'm guessing I have it, but I still want to hear it. There's actually one song that they did before the full length. Um, They had done some stuff with Jake Portrait down here um, at a place. I think he was calling it Noise Lab. And like Paint by Numbers recorded there and a few others. But oh shit! They released, they that released, is a name I haven't heard in a long time. Great band! Wow! Great band! Like strung out influence, but like pop hooks. Like wow! Great, great band. Okay, so um, Compact was recording with Jake Portrait. They put out those four songs right before Glenn left. Do you remember that four song EP? It had Sick and Come the Day. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah. There's two versions of it. One had um, Surface Wound as the end of it, and then they re-released it with a different fourth song you know it's funny i i didn't really appreciate compact 56 all that much at the time Be- well because i knew chris as this guy who owned a skate shop okay and then i knew chris as uh oh shit i could totally get myself into trouble here so i won't uh <laughs> okay. then i knew him as my roommate slash landlord all right and then he eventually uh moved to new york yeah and at that point, once he wasn't around anymore, then it was like, then it then it became like a, a little less uh, complicated. Well, <laughs> that was, I mean, it's just, like if a complicated this person you see, if this this person you see every day becomes routine, yeah. Once you don't see him every day, then it's special. Gotcha. But uh, what was I saying about that EP? Oh yeah, so they they recorded more songs. There was one where they had a bunch of people come in and do group shouts. Mm-hmm. And it was a song called uh, What Now? 
And uh, to this day, I have an instrumental mix of that that Glenn gave me at one point, but I don't actually have uh, like a rough cut with the vocals on it. Uh, but they had a few at that time like that were really fucking good songs before they moved to Portland. Um, I remember one of them, we played with them at the Wow Hall, and they started just all singing. I mean, Spinelli was like passionate fucking singer, and they were all singing this like three-part harmony together, just a cappella, just belting this shit, and then the song started. I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to have this album, and then yeah, it wasn't yeah. on the album. I was like, well, that's got to exist somewhere, right? Like, oh, man. Yeah, Spinelli used to be the... Um the test meter for how soundproof something was. <laughs> yeah. We just put him in, close the door and say, all right, scream as loud as you can. Cause I, I can't think of anyone I've ever met who has a louder voice when they want to. So, yeah, I've never seen, okay. I should say I, I've seen very few people with that amount of just unbridled passion, um, on a microphone, man. Like, well, just kind of in general, man. I mean, like, yeah, those those guys, man, they made an impression on me for sure. Like the f- first basement show I ever played, they invited us and and I yeah, remember Spinelli that, just punching the ceiling when he's singing. I was like, Jesus that, Christ, man. That like, story alone is worth that book for sure. Oh, the compact story? Oh, dude, <laughs> that the, was the, the animal farm story. I mean, it was nice because like I knew who you were talking about. Yeah. I didn't know any of that stuff. Yeah, dude, that God, I miss I miss that shit like just the most inspiring time you know when when you're so young and you're seeing all these things for the first time and and you're being welcomed into a scene that's full of adults and you're a kid you well, know I, I god think, it's exciting i think something that um helps helps me out i'm sure helps you out is like i still i still get excited you know i still get excited to see the same bands i've played i've seen play a bunch of times oh yeah uh like I'm, st- I, st- I always look at it like, but I've never seen them do it at this point. Yeah, at this show. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's all new, and and uh, oh god, I sound like such a hippie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been, man, I've been in Eugene for like three hours and already. <laughs> Sorry, we I've, share we've been, that. We've been shitting on your town we, since we got here. I, I don't care. It means nothing to me. <laughs> Uh, I'm not moving, but it doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. Um, but uh, we we share that enthusiasm. And, um, you know, I think that, like I tell people, when you go on tour, make sure it's someone that you genuinely want to see every night. Oh, not yeah. someone you have to or someone that you're going to go and talk outside to the set. But, like, you know, go with somebody who you are going to be stoked every night to watch their set. The same oh, yeah. exact set. The same exact order. You know, Every night, and you're going to be up there, standing in the front row, singing along like that. That's have I love that shit. Have you ever you know? seen the Death Cab for Cutie tour documentary? No, it's called, like Drive Well, Sleep Carefully. I'm not really a, a fan. You, of them, it doesn't matter. But. Uh, it's one of those that's that I always tell people to watch if you're if they're if your life is starting to revolve around touring because mm-hmm. it's it their take on touring itself and playing shows during touring and like. Just kind of the whole thing is so spot on with how it should be, and all these things that you wouldn't ever think about. Yeah, like yeah, you know, just being big on like these people only get to see you once a year. Yeah, 
you're three weeks in and you missed home and you haven't slept well in in weeks and but the people took time out of their lives to come see you so you treat it like that you know and yeah. respect it that much that's something that was instilled to and me in those early days that's that's yeah. one just for anybody listening if you've never seen it, it it's uh well worth watching uh, yeah, I'll actually have to check that out. But even that, like, even if you don't like the band, that that's a thing that um, talking about playing every show, you know, like it's the first show, like it's the last show, whatever. Um, I've had so many people come up to me, you know, sound guys or bartenders, when there's nobody left at right. the end of the night, and they're like, God. and you're up there just jumping around, yeah, just you know, <laughs> playing hard and giving it everything, and and they're like, that that was incredible. Like nobody would do that for this room of three people or something and i was like well i i remember though playing at the animal farm yeah and when when it was packed there was no more than 20 people in there you know you couldn't fit any more people in that little room and so on a slow night maybe you were playing for two three people i i did play for one guy at the end of the night and it was fun you still go out there you do your shit you know just like you do at practice some people treat it like practice but you know what? If you're at practice and you're not giving it your all, I see something wrong with that as well, you know? I'm sure there's a lot of opinions on that. I'm sure. But, uh, I mean, I'm not like the Billy Corgan type where it's like he makes the band rehearse for four hours a day, you know, before <laughs> yeah. each and every show. <laughs> a slave you know, like, master. That's just ridiculous. You know, but I don't play that kind of technical, you know, music. It's, it's interesting the, the way different folks will view that. Like, I know some folks who, like, will write like the raddest song yeah something you're like this this will like exponentially raise your the like the level of awareness around you mm-hmm. and they'll be like yeah but i don't want to listen to it myself it's not something i want i would listen to so it's not going on the album huh i'm like okay i can respect that you know I if, mean, if that's like your absolute sure i think I, that that is an important goal though you should you know i but like you know, should you have to want to listen to yourself? I don't know. I'm sure it's different for everybody. I would say, I would say yes, because, and this is a, uh, I don't think it's a popular opinion, um, but, you know, we were talking about wearing bands, uh, shirts to the show or whatever, people making fun of you or something like that. Um, you know, I have always been of the mind that you should be into your own shit. You know, like I remember well, watching Metallica should. videos and Jason Newstead's wearing his Metallica shirt every night because he loved that band before he was in it. And now oh, he's yeah. in it and he loves this band still. I feel that way. You know, like if I I'm, I'm more talking know, about like listening to your own albums. Sure. Yeah, I know. But I mean, the, I feel the, I feel like um, I am going to wear my own shit. I'm going to play my own shit because if I didn't like it, then I wouldn't put it out, you know. Like, yeah. like if a chef made food, this is the, my go-to analogy, and he doesn't eat his own food, like that's oh, I wouldn't I eat see. that guy's food. Uh, you know. But on the other but hand, like, there are like there are people who are you know, like my wife makes great bread, mm-hmm. like really really great bread. She's type one diabetic; she can't eat it. Yeah. So well, can't is can't, another well. Thing. She she can't she, very little. Yeah. She makes it for you know. So I mean, so your analogy is. Like ninety nine percent. I just think that that you ought to be um, that into it if you are 
asking people to give you the time of day to take a break from their lives to come out to the show to pay you money to buy that song or that album like oh, for sure. i feel like you've got to be um your own fan or why well, the fuck yeah. are you there you know like it you know what's always bothered me and this is just like a personal thing that i don't have any reason for like bands who live like with all the members are scattered Mm. And they all get together like once every three months, or they get together for like a week before a tour, or something like that. Like for some reason, that just that irks me so much. Like I would rather not know that. That is a little odd. I, I remember in the Foo Fighters documentary, um, uh, Nate was talking about that how he didn't want Pat to join the band because that guy lives in L.A. and we all live up here in Seattle, and I just grew up playing. In my friend's garage, you know, we all get together, we play music, we hang out together. That's the thing. So you're just going to fly this guy out for shows? Like, what the hell is that? And then he gets there, and obviously he's great. Yeah. So they work with it. But um, I'm I'm kind of of that mentality, too, you know? But then I've had bands where we all live in the same town, like Judo Pony. We all live in the same town, and we would not see each other for, like, a month or something because everyone's got right. other things. And... Then it'd be like, all right, we have a show on Saturday at 9 o'clock. Let's get together at 6. We'll run all the songs twice, and then we'll go down to the show yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that was how that band operated. It was very kind of spontaneous. Like, we had everything down so well that we could just go and touch base whenever we needed, get our chops yeah, back, so and just that. do it. But at the same time, it was kind of a disconnect. I mean, that band kind of fizzled out. You know, there's probably something to that. The long projects I've had are, are groups where we see each other every fucking day. Well, yeah, you know? that's the the bands I see who get the tightest. Yeah. As far as like being like a just having like a symbiotic relationship with each other, mm. are the ones who like live together. Yeah. You know, all the members in the same place. Bouncing and, Souls documentary that was a, a big one for me because I don't think I've seen that one. Oh my god! I have. I didn't even know there was one. I have. It's the, called. Do I have you the remember live video? called do you remember it's are you talking about the glass house yeah yeah it's way before that um but it it's really really good like the it's two discs one disc is a documentary the other disc is like just a collection of random live footage like it's not that sounds awesome it's cool but it's not like um like the glass house is a real show fully produced you know joe escalante production you know oh yeah sounds good looks good but um this that's is a just good like one. it's one of my favorite live a bunch videos. of you know it's it's akin to like the sublime live dvd that's just random clips you know mm. but um the the documentary is like the most inspiring exciting thing i've probably ever seen uh it's almost like the descendants one or something like gets you that pumped mm. where nothing makes me want to get on the road more than watching that because they live together you know in all these little flop houses you know for years they live in these vans together they just like their whole thing was just always together always making music and i don't know that i could do that but (laughs) (laughs) but like the ones i see um like really get like go from like just forming and kind of establishing themselves somewhat to like super tight yeah like you clasp your two hands together tight uh, are the ones who are doing it every day if they're not if they're not living together they're they're practicing yeah i mean even me and evan had i feel like a 
you know, a good chemistry when the illusionists were starting to play shows and, you know, we got along very well. We did our thing for a few years. But then, like, after that first tour, everything was different. It was just like that one... That one thing of six weeks in a van every single day, oh. shows almost every night. Like when we got back from that, it was just we could never turn the switch off. I'm gonna I'm gonna show <laughs> you an outtake from that interview of Evans. It, it, he he wrote a lot of words about touring with Carnage, mm. and it's pretty awesome to read. I didn't put it in because it wasn't pertinent at all yeah yeah, yeah um, it, it's great so i'm gonna i'm gonna do something with it because well it's too good yeah let's okay i i'm here we can talk about that too um the carnage tour when the illusionist did death of a salesman was awesome because um it was it was one of the only ones where it wasn't just our own tour you know and we had someone who's more established going out with us somebody i'd been into since high school and uh you know we we had played with him a few times so we we were cool we had rapport i booked the tour so we were in contact all the time beforehand so you know it wasn't like strange just meeting the guy right going on tour but you know when we went out there you're watching one of the best performers in the genre to ever do it in my opinion and the opinion of anyone who's oh. seen him oh live. yeah you know he's extraordinary and so we you know in the illusionist we didn't fuck around you know we put on a high energy show and we got tons of people you know other headliners would be like god damn you guys can fucking perform and we took that seriously it was a point of pride in the group but then after the shows every night we'd go back to the hotel or whatever and We'd be sitting there with Terrell, Carnage, and he'd go, that's a good set tonight. He'd critique your... Yeah, he's like, you guys did this and this, like, so good. You know, your this was awesome. He goes, man, you got to engage them more, though. You're just yelling at them. I was like, yeah, but we're just trying to fuck shit up and be like, you know... Punk and shit. That that act on the bill that you are going to remember, whether you like it or not. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but but you can do that and get them bought in. I was like, nah, I'm not trying to. He's like, no, stop. Like, you can. He goes, what would an illusionist call and response be? I was like, I don't want one. There is none. You know, and he's like, no, what would it be? Let's say center of attention. What's what's the call and response in that song? Because you've got a gap between the hook and the verse where the scratch would be. You don't have a DJ on the tour. Like, what is your calm response I was like no nah, I don't I don't know he's like I'm telling you just go release us now you don't even have to say when I say this you say that you can just say release us now and point it at him they'll do it I promise they'll do it and since that first uh piece of advice we tried it again the next day on the tour we never played that song again without after the yeah. chorus going release us now release us now you know like it worked every fucking time and he gave different notes like that every night. And we just learned so much. Like, we thought we had our shit down. We've been doing this for years. We got it, you know, and just took one guy You're like watching and actually somebody who knows what he's doing and cares enough to you know, want to watch the set every night. 
you know i've I've been lucky to have guys like him or the guys in compact or whoever who are always just looking they, out for they, me they're they, trying to bring they, me up yeah, to their want to see you do better yeah and i i just think that that's been the the biggest um benefit of my entire musical career is just all those different kind of people um looking out for me i like that's awesome i always try to do that to other people if i can do you, do you ever feel like things would be so much easier for you if you could focus on one type of music um not that you would want to easier yes i have no desire to i mean like right now i've been thinking i've been taking a lot of recording work and so right now i have like um three i think i have three other people's projects that i'm still working on plus my own you know so i kind of feel like i'm not able to get as much done as i want to but having different genres open at the same time or even you know different style rap albums open at the same time helps me from not feeling like I'm forcing myself to make progress. Yeah, so, I'm I'm the same way. So I just I was just thinking about that the other day. I was like, God, if I could, if I was just like, all right, I'm gonna leave all this other stuff alone, and I'm just going to focus on rap music. Yeah, that's all. That's what I'm gonna listen to. That's what I'm gonna cover. I'd probably be a lot better at it. <laughs> I think I get burned out too quickly. You know, like when I go on tour, I almost never listen to rap in the car. You know, like if I bought, like, you know, I'll buy a new album that's out when we're out. You know, I'll listen to a lot of that one, like whether it's Our Face or Ari the Rugged Man or something, you know. But really, and you, I'm, you I'm get a, to hear it all. I'm a control, all night. control freak anyway, so I'm like trying to guard my, you know, deck. <laughs> but I'm up there, you know, listening to, you know, Pennywise and whatever because, yeah, you're, you're hearing rap all night, not just the acts, but the house music and the DJ and all this shit's all day long i can't listen to one thing all the time you know i can't i can't do it because it's not exciting for me and i feel the same way about creating like just it would get so stale to just come in and write a 16 you know like like god i don't (laughs) i just keep keep thinking like there's i i imagine it would probably make certain things easier you know like I remember, there was one night where I I was trying to, I'm, I I put a post on Facebook about trying to fit cognitive dissonance into a rhyme scheme. Yeah. Uh, not quite mentioning oh. that I'd already established the rhyme scheme. <laughs> I, I remember. This. And you were like, "Oh, here!" And you just you responded like 20 seconds after I posted this, with like a full blown. You're like, "I'm sorry, I'm in writing mode," you know? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Man, I would get in writing mode." I think so much easier if I, if I just, that's why like when I review stuff, I I'll like only focus on that for like a month. Yeah. Cause that'll, that allows me to like zero in on it. Otherwise I'm just like, okay. And you know who else just put out an album? These guys. Well, <laughs> and, yes. I'm, and I, and it's in the back of my head. And if I don't get to listen to that fucking album, I'm going to be resentful of your album. And <laughs> you know what I mean? And so on there, and so forth. There's something to be said about creative momentum for sure. And, and that's why, like, if I have an important project coming up and I can't, you know, if I don't feel like what I'm able to do right now is my, you know, peak performance, you know, 
something really good that I'm proud of, then that's when I'll go, all right, let's do a mixtape or something and, and force myself to do a bunch of writing um, leading up to this, to this more important project. And uh, every time I've done that, it, it opens the floodgates. So I, I definitely I see that. Um, for me, I think it's just important to always be creative, always be out here in this room, you know, whether I'm doing rap verses or DFS songs or mixes or podcasts. It's all stimulating, you know, it's a different kind of, of thing when I'm working on a video than when I'm working on a song but um as long as i'm in the groove of it then i'm able to pull that stuff out when i'm not it's when i'm away on tour for a long time and i get out of my studio routine then i come back and i'm like i got nothing you know or if i or if i take a weekend and binge watch house of cards or something for three days then i'm like all right uh what are we watching next i'm not thinking oh what's the 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 next song i'm thinking oh what's the next show (laughs) <laughs> to watch on TV. So um, as long as I have a momentum in this room, I'm good. It's kind of a tough one for me, either writing, like, words or writing songs. I, If I'm in the zone, yeah. the songs will write themselves. I, yeah. can't, I can't even keep up with them. If I'm not, uh, <laughs> there's, that, page, that page is going to stay empty. Yeah. Nothing. I will just stand there with a pen, like, Nope, not today. For me, it's always by force. If I'm in that rut, it's just you're gonna do something right now. If it's no good, don't I use go to it. covers? You know, yes, actually, yes. The main reason that the stolen songs series, the video series, exists is because I've been writing this DFS album for like two years. You know, I've written like probably twelve songs in that period of time. But I've been so out of the routine of just knowing my instrument, you know, and 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 being familiar with it. Because when you're that out of touch with it, you go and pick it up. And every time you pick it up, you play like the same little couple licks and, you know, you go into the same. And it's just so boring and uninspiring. And when you force yourself to learn something new that you've never played... And do it on this scale where you're having to learn like, oh, I'm 30 or, minutes of somebody's shit. Even, even you know? uh, I'll even learn, try and learn a new chord. Yeah. Just to be like, uh, and, I'll try, and I'll kind of run through my little index in my head of songs I know. I'm like, oh, shit, that song uses that chord. Yeah. I'm going to figure out that song. Just so you can let your hand lay differently the next time you pick it up. There, That's the thing I, I uh dedicate the least amount of time to that I really love doing is playing my guitar yeah and singing and so me too <laughs> every time I pick it up it's like an adjustment sometimes before bed I'll play my wife songs just like cover songs mm-hmm. just so I can like sing songs to somebody because it's nice to do sometimes yeah and it'll take me like two songs to get adjusted like to remember how to sing, mm-hmm. or how how I sing, <laughs> like, I'll just keep apologizing until I hit song three and be like, "Okay, now I'm, I remember how to do this now." 
there's there's definitely a a, <laughs> a groove you kind of have to get into, and um, that that yeah that was a big part of the reason that I was doing all those fucking covers because right now it's, you've noticed it's still something to do. Yeah, and and like right now you've noticed probably I've been a little there's been some radio silence on the stolen songs. I kind oh, of sure. hit a little wall in that regard because I've been writing DFS stuff. I've been yeah. playing my instrument a little bit more and I uh so like I've got an unfinished one that like the audio well, is all done. You're you're not obligated. But I you know. Exactly. These are things that are very low pressure. Nobody really wants to hear them until they know that they've heard it, you know. They're not looking for it. Um so it I can do it whenever I want, but it's kind of there when I need it, you know. I had planned to do a bunch more in in rapid succession and uh that that became Your a whole other thing. Your output is still like you know? more so than most. Well, I was worried that as I started to uh, change my focus, that um, that that might affect my reputation for um, being, being such a such a yeah constantly creative force, and I uh, I did slow down, and I've taken a lot more personal time and doing you know spending time with my wife and. Uh, that kind of stuff, working more, trying to get out of debt, you know, these last six months, I've really been focused on other things, but I've designed it in a way that by doing this podcast and by still dropping new videos, you know, I haven't played a hometown show since October. Nobody's, no, nobody's really noticed. Yeah. Um, because it's like, I, 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 it seems like you're finding like a duality though. Is it working out better? Are you happier? Um, I mean, yes. Is it, is it feeding certain parts of you that the music doesn't? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I um, it really, it's just the job obstacle. You know, that's all that it <sighs> is. Is the you know, I've been working retail for uh, twelve years now, and uh, as much you as I say. minimize it, it's still very hard to you know flip my my schedule. I, you know, today I ate breakfast at one thirty. that's like normal life for me and to switch out of that um back and forth all the time you know fucks me up pretty good um and i'm not as creative when i'm doing that back and forth and not not sleeping right and whatever so um really my obstacle in life for many years now i see as nothing other than than that and that was part of my motivation for starting to produce other artists again too was was that you know I think I sold myself short. I think I could have been living off this 10 years ago if I had actually yeah. focused on it. Um, but, you know, it didn't go that way. And so now I want to try to get that freedom. Because I, I don't know. It's I definitely need the time home with my wife. Um, but the extra time at work t- takes away from both of, both of them. That's the the biggest duality struggle I have is having, you know, I have all these things that I like to do that I, I get something from yeah. that uh, I'm compensated for somehow. And then I have a wife. And, yeah. then, and then I have kids. And 
everything I all all the time I put into skateboarding, which only costs me money, you know? Yeah. And writing, which doesn't cost me anything, but it also doesn't I don't get paid. Sure. Know? It costs you the it, time it you invest. Sac- so it, it yeah. But it it's still something has to suffer in order for those things to happen. Yeah. Either shit's not getting done at home or time's not being spent. And that is my biggest struggle in life in general. When we did the I Quit My Job for this tour, and I wasn't working. Very and aptly I, titled. Yes. And, and <laughs> two on the nose? I don't know. Um, but <laughs> no, it was good. When that time in my life was happening, uh, leading up to it, I was overworked, spread too thin, exhausted, you know, not having the right amount of, you know, balance on anything. And... Sounds in, familiar. In the years since, um, really, again, I look at, you know, the job is my my only obstacle. And, I, you know, I need it. It's been good to me. I have no complaints in that regard. Um, but I do hope to get beyond that because I think that my wife and I have a good balance, you know, of, you know, sometimes she doesn't get home until 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And Which is midday for you. Well, you know, <laughs> if I work that day, you know, then I'm getting home before 8 o'clock. And so I'm going, all right, I can squeeze in two hours of mixing or have somebody in to record a, mm-hmm. a, a song, you know, on their record or, or whatever. And so, like, I've got, I've got that shit, you know, worked out the way that it needs to be. That's, that's a big reason but, why I do everything on the phone and why I got good at doing it. So you can just be on the go? Well, so I can do it while I'm at work, you know? Yeah. So I can do it while I'm on my lunch. So I can do it if I'm, you know, outside having a cigarette or something. Isn't that and a like, great I can thing? Keep, I, can keep, I can keep working and, I don't, and nothing has to suffer, yeah. you know? And so that's, that's been really helpful. I think it's awesome to be, like, I, I was anti-cell phone for a long time. To some extent, I still kind of am in a different well, way. Sure. In a different way, but I... Um, I don't think you should be pro-cell phone <laughs> or pro-smartphone. Sure. But it is great. It is great to be able to be working on a project with, uh, you know, people from different yeah, cities and, and whatever. and back and forth. And, and, you know, you get a slow moment at work. Somebody sends you their verse for the record. Oh, shit, I'm going to listen to that real quick. You know, hey, I'll be back in five, you know, whatever. You listen to that verse and that gets you through the rest of the day like oh man when i get home i'm gonna drop that into the track i'm gonna mix it it's gonna be exciting i'm gonna send it to doug and you know like (laughs) that shit gets me going or like booking a tour while i'm at work from my phone that shit's great you know i can't i can't uh knock it for that as much as i write songs about you know being sex and television (laughs) yeah that, that kind of stuff and and you know hating having the conversation where everyone's screens are lit up and they're not looking at each other um, I don't like that, but goddamn, if it isn't useful for, uh, for what we do, trying to yeah. balance multiple things like in our lives. Well, yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's all just a duality struggle, Sam. Do I spend my time skateboarding? Do I spend <laughs> my time with my kids? See, I know the answer I... to both of those for me personally, <laughs> but I was never very good with either of them. Uh... <laughs> I always I, wanted to skate, and I never had the balls. Well, I, I it takes oh, it, it's it's the most time-consuming thing. Yeah. What are you shaking your head at? <laughs> it's not your most time. 
No, no, it's the most time-consuming thing to learn that yeah, I do. Because I like I like to do manual shit, mm-hmm. like shit that you have to make work. You 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 purchase or make the tool to do it, but you're you're the one who actually has to make it happen. Yeah. It took me two years of skateboarding almost every day for hours to learn how to kickflip. Oh yeah, you know? me too. Yeah, you know, I mean, out some, there some every people, day after school. Yeah, some people got it. To where they just like step on a board and they're just like, oh, I'm gonna go jump down 20 stairs. I'm fine. Yep. You know, I was like, uh, gotta learn. I learn everything. I was like that with guitar. My kid's dentist said, uh, you don't like anything unless it's hard, <laughs> 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 meaning difficult. Fair enough. Uh, and I and I was like, no, I guess I don't. Well, I can appreciate skating like the guys who got good at it. You know, I don't look at them. It requires so much of you to do that, though. It's discipline. I, I don't look at those guys and think, oh, God, they they were lucky or they whatever. You know, like, I look at those guys and I see the time put in. You know, even watching a pro skate video, sometimes they'll edit it in a way that they'll show you the previous how, how many 10 fails leading oh, up to or the more. one. And that's a guy who does this for a living every day of his life. You know, so... When you're hanging out with your friends and you're trying to land that trick, it might take you 35 tries. Oh, yeah. And you still might not get it that day. You might have to go back to the same spot the next day and try it 35 more times. Yeah. Yeah. And I I was reminded of that when we filmed the video for Reintroducing for The Illusionist because we we had um, Ogar Burl and and some of his friends that I grew up like. Those were kind of our skate influences when I was a kid. You know, the, the... older brothers friends you know yeah and so hanging out with them and filming them was was fun and it reminded me of just how committed those guys are year after year i mean i'm probably in the same way that some people might look at a musician like me or something but i'm looking at those guys going god they fucking well that's very constructive of you (laughs) i I don't know i admire it well i mean i i do too but I, i also don't expect people do maybe because i grew up with that you know I got I got kind of the tail end of that stigma of, of what skateboarding is this like now skateboarding is something you have your kids do to stay out of trouble. Oh yeah. Back then skateboarding meant you were getting into trouble, whether gotcha. or not you actually were. Sure. And I kinda of got the tail end of that. So um Well, let's talk a little bit about sound convictions before we wrap. Um how did you become involved with them? When did it start? Uh, Sound Convictions is a midlife crisis for a fellow named Dale, mm-hmm. uh, who lives in Fort Worth, Texas, who uh, had spent so long, uh, you know, building his business up that he'd kind of lost touch with music and sort of made that site as a uh, as a, a means to keep himself involved. Yeah, and. He came across me via something I wrote on my old blog that doesn't exist anymore. And what, what was, like, was that hey. piece that he found? Uh been too long. <laughs> uh it's within like three different ones and they're all um it was when uh I don't know how like socio-political you want to get, but it was when Return of Kings first was a website. Oh, those fucking guys! And I was like, "All right, 
So it wasn't even and a music No, post. it wasn't about music at all. Okay. He was like, hey, I got this site. You know, you should check it out. And I was like, oh, you're looking for writers. Like, I can, I can write. Do you guys you have know? similar interests musically or way uh, different? He, he and I are both very eclectic mm-hmm. and both very, like, open to, you know, each other's, I, you know, or, you know, or, or, you know, stuff that gets put, thrown our way. You know, he's he's found all sorts of stuff from me. I've found a bunch all sorts of stuff from him and So there's a common ground but not necessarily. Sure, the he's same. but he's got like ten years on me. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of a gap there too. So I'm like the young buck, you know? That's kinda great though, you know, in in you both being able to bring each other stuff that's way off each other's radar, you know. Oh yeah, it's kinda neat to and he'll and he'll like brings stuff to me that like I kind of remember from being younger. Yeah. But was like the shit the older folks listened to that I was uh like I was into no effects. He was into nerve agents. Yeah. You know? Like it maybe the little more adult version of whatever I liked at the time. And Yeah, I I've had those things. I remember when um when the illusionists were happening, um I talked a lot about how uh, Ogar Burl and Webb were an influence on me kind of getting to know the history like the classics of rap but also uh, even with, with punk or whatever like uh, uh, one day Gabe said something about oh you must listen to a lot of Fugazi and because uh, that like that riff he was talking mm-hmm. about something on Counterclockwise he's like that that's a like kind of a Fugazi inspired riff and I was like no I listen to Minor Threat you know but I missed that one, you know, it's kind of in between. (laughs) And, uh, and he's like, Oh man, you gotta, you gotta check out repeater. And I, so I, I bought that and, um, I listened to it. I was like, Oh wow. He's like, yeah, you listen to a lot of bands who listen to Fugazi. That's how I heard it. (laughs) Yeah, Isn't it crazy how stuff goes back like that? Yeah. I think it's, it's awesome. You know, my mom used to come in and go, how did, how did you even hear these bands? You know, it's like, that's one of the, like, the parts of me that I, I can't seem to get past is the part that's like, yeah, maybe I'm not so into this, but they very obviously were into this other thing I like. Yeah. Which goes back to, like, my friend's band who was also into them, and that, like, humanizes the whole thing. And then it makes it really hard for me to not like this band that I, you know, two seconds ago in my head was not so into. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I I get that. On the other hand, I also, and I, w- I would never name names in this situation, but there's also like a lot of people who are, um, okay, let's say this is a more common example. Um, there's an artist you like, but you can't stand them as a person. You know, I get the uh, flip yeah. side of that where there's like a lot of people that I've met are like super cool. I'm just not into what they do, mm-hmm. you know, straight up. Like we're all friends. We'll hang out. Maybe we'll play shows together. It certainly, but I just, it, it's it not certainly for me. helps. You know, it's not for me. I'm I'm certainly a lot more lenient. Yeah. With it and myself, if it's somebody I like as a person, for sure. You know, um, like I have a friend named James who's in a metalcore band. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very modern metalcore. You know, follows like all of the rules. Mm-hmm. But because I love James. And I know he puts the work in, yeah. and I know all these guys have, have like are approaching this the right way and for the right reasons. I'm like, okay, I will give your album a listen. 
Yeah. And I will listen to it with every intent to get as much out of it as possible. Yeah. And when you do that, chances are you probably will. Yeah, you're going to find things you like about it. And, you know, I if I didn't know James, I probably would never listen to the album. Yeah. And, and it's fucking great. It's metalcore, but it's also, like, a really tight-knit crew of dudes mm-hmm. who very obviously are a team, you know, and not just six people playing the same instruments on the same song. That's a that's a tough obstacle, I think, for a lot of DIY bands uh, or artists is finding that difference between friends and fans, you know. Even sometimes me, after all these years, sometimes I feel like I have no perception of what my actual reach is, oh. you know, and part of it is because, like, I do interact a lot with the people that support me and have become friends with them and like whatever. And so it's, it's hard, but um, I remember certain times where I could see people were at shows or buying the record just to support, you know, just because they wanted to encourage me and, and, and they were just being a good friend. And then I remember seeing other times when maybe those same people were like genuinely intrigued and getting something out of it and 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 we had a different interaction when I was on stage and I I always looked for those moments, you know. Sounds like uh we're getting a visit from Mr. Evil. That's part of the reason I let this run long. Oh. Come on in. We were talking a little bit earlier about the uh, the article he just ran with you and the the streetlight um, reunion. You want to plug that at all? This one probably reaches better. Um, okay, can you pivot it around? Ta-da! Um, so Sound Convictions has a, a streetlight cardiac piece. Thanks to Joel. Joel, do you just write for them? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that piece just ran. If people want to know uh, more about the band, but you said something that I think was great. And as every tour we go on, um, at some point we'll always like rock out to Streetlight or This Day's End. Yeah, and that I think generally we're like on the same page with it. It's definitely not like it's the first day. Let us begin tour by listening <laughs> to our own music. Yeah. But uh, you know, give it give it a couple of days, and we've been listening to whatever stuff that we've acquired or favorites or something. And uh, and then sure enough, at some point, it's like, oh, I just need to yell to my own stuff or something. Or or, or maybe it's just that. Or, or I'd be like, man, I, I, I want to put on that streetlight. Like, like you know, t- talking to whoever the tour mate is, like, have you heard his band? you got to hear his old band. <laughs> like, that shit That's was cool. awesome. And, and we're listening to a lot of rap generally. I mean, in what we're, the kind of shows that we're playing and, and what we're being exposed to yeah. on a nightly basis. So it's, you know, getting a dose of something different at the same time. But yeah, and we're just kind of reminiscing anyway. So. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. I love it. So uh, once again, everyone should check out the, the Streetlight Cardiacs albums uh, that just came back the, online for, uh, well, maybe for the first time. F- well, yeah, for the first time. I mean, I, I can't remember what, was originally on MySpace back in the day, yeah. uh, but I know for sure the only thing that exists there right now is just the Dark Days stuff. Yeah, and uh, that was just one of the first things that 
even if we hadn't got back together, maybe I wouldn't be so motivated to do it, but I, I, I really wanted to have our stuff available in the same way that like everybody else's stuff is available right now. I mean, once it's yeah. online, it just exists as a thing, you know, people can find it even 200 years from now or something. <laughs> Hopefully the world is gone by then. Uh, <laughs> everybody else has, uh, you know, any number of pages and, uh, music videos and things. And I'm just like, I've never got to have any of this stuff. You it's kind of weird when your band existed before the popular forms of media. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, we have an angel fire page. From, yeah. Yeah. You know, 2001. And, and if anything, I just wanted to, uh, kind of get us caught up in that way. Uh, I was really happy that Lauren even had all the old stuff still. Cause I know that your things had disappeared. Yeah. I and, have MP3s of it all, but I don't have the masters anymore. Yeah. And, uh, and the other stuff was stuff that Bryce had recorded and, and I mean, one, I don't even talk to him and two, I didn't know where that stuff was. Turned out Lauren had all of it. Cool. So then I just had to work on being able to put it online and stuff. And so I'm, I'm happy that we are back and I just kind of wanted us like catch us up to ground zero where everybody starts at, you know, like, Hey, maybe, uh, Hey, listen to this stuff. Or if people are seeing you post about it, like that your band's back, and like oh, I never heard that one, you know. Yeah, well, here it Do is. You have now you can music. Check it out. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, check out that piece on Sound Convictions about the Streetlight Cardiacs, and uh, you can find their music at streetlightcardiacs.bandcamp.com. Two of those records, which were recorded here in this room, um, "Welcome to Meth City" and "Dark Days." some of my favorite stuff I've ever worked on. So check that out. Thanks to Evan and uh, Joel from Sound Convictions. And um, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you, guys. All right, that's our show. I am going to leave you with a track from uh, Death of a Salesman. It's an album I released when I was in the group The Illusionist. It changed a lot of things for me, and I still get people asking me about it a lot, including our guest today. And he requested that I play the opening cut from that called Groundhog Days, featuring Blueprint.
resist conformity, especially when you're in that position of authority. What's more to me is for years to climb the ladder to the day I realized that I really don't matter. Cause first they employed me, then they destroyed me. When I started thinking for myself, they'd avoid me. They talk loyalty, but never reciprocate. Cause they know you need to keep making bread for your dinner plate. If they eliminate your first and fifteenth, you're back on the streets until you're kissing the feet. But for me, it gets harder to sit and smile when every night of my life is the last scene from Eight Mile. This is fucking bullshit. I have been here all goddamn day and you haven't let me say one thing. You shut the fuck up now. It's my turn to talk. Shut the fuck up. I'm about to go hammer time on my alarm clock. All the thoughts revolving around the next eight hours. Got me thinking about the ways that I could drown in the shower. My body's a wreck. My mind is a mess. The only way to settle it, pencil for breakfast. Hopeless, exhausted, never had an option. Admittedly, I think about the coffin often. Conflicted on the inside every time I clock in. Not making a dent in the debt that I am lost in. Bad in the pockets of fat cat bastards. Lack of motivation got me moving like molasses. Feed the disease, be part of the team. I'd rather read my news feed so my eyeballs bleed. All this monotony I need a lobotomy. I know I've been defeated when the shit don't bother me. You're right. I'm so sorry. I fucking hate this job. She makes me sick to my stomach. I get the runs from the stress. Consider it a privilege to trust still employed. But how does that matter if my life is devoid of everything or anything resembling a soul? You gave them all you have, but they still want a little more. Ripped away and skipped the courtesies fitting for a full-time shift. They expect you to sit. They love brain that depend and obedient sheep. But don't eat, sleep, blink, think or make a peep. Let me ask you one thing. It's the hardest to tell. Are we really doing well or are we living in hell? Cause living check the checks like being choked to death. You can't hardly catch a breath with a new syringe neck. Waking up every day is like pulling teeth. Don't wanna meet my end, trying to make ends meet. So I ride what's on my mind and it's spitting on the mic. In spite of the fact that my reality bites. In the same place, I kick myself ironically. Looking back makes me wanna shit myself. Proof that people do, damn near anything for wealth. I'm cool on the outside, but inside about to melt. Yeah, my salary's right, but my life's wrong. Caves in a cubicle, forced to sing the same song. When my day was done, I used to have bad hobbies. Now I'm either working or asleep, most likely. And just when I thought that it couldn't be worse, I leave work, fall asleep, and then have dreams of work. Deep in a status meeting, felt my eyes closed, but instead of sleeping, began reading the onion on my iPhone. I'm disgruntled as fuck. It's no mystery. Deep to think the way I earn a living is really killing me. But if I'm going out, I'm taking all of them with me. Somebody please get a gun and put me out my misery. They want obedient workers and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it.